it doesn't take much to realize how unpredictable life really is. We can really only know one thing. The world can be crazy, and we are all more than likely actually really going to die. Like, that's how it works. That's how life is. Uh, I was recently researching something I never expected to research. Uh, I was researching pepper spray and pepper gel due to my kid's new job. They decided they were going to walk other people's dogs. I find it fascinating that for years I have fought them walking, fought them trying to own a dog at my home. So the way that they approach that is to not get a dog, but to go and care for other people's dogs. So I, I am dealing with that. I order them some pepper gel. It shoots out like silly string, but it's not silly. And as I looked at 2020, I began to think how so many pastors decided that they were going to have a very easy theme. Jared and I are always talking about what's going to be preached here and how we're going to look at the Bible and what we're going to look at in regard to text. And the primary theme that every pastor, as they were coming around to 2020, that they wanted to do was they wanted to preach on vision. If you were to look at any church website, you would see that vision is kind of their thing. 2020, the year of vision for this church, for that church, for the other church. The year of vision. It's the most popular theme in the majority of evangelical churches today. And it is like 2020 took a can of pepper spray and it sprayed vision directly in the eyeball. And they have followed that up by poking it in the eyes like the Three Stooges. The idea of vision in the world that we live in is very difficult to wrestle with. It's difficult to comprehend because everything in our world seems to have lost its meaning. You look around and you notice that it almost feels like Groundhog's Day from time to time. We're just going through the motions, going through the routine, taking the same steps that we took yesterday, walking the same walk that we walked. And if you are here and you're looking at the idea of this insanity, and you're thinking maybe, just maybe, Chad and Jared chose to preach Ecclesiastes at the beginning of this mess that we're in. We're not that smart. We had this thing locked up in October. We were going to go through it. But God has met us here and he's taught us a little bit about himself as we look at the fact that under the sun it does seem as if life is vanity, as if life at times has no meaning. So we can look at this text today, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. We're going to pick up in verse 11. And as we look at the text, you'll notice a few things. You'll notice that when we read it, 9-11 tells us that life is random. 9-12 tells us that death is coming. So if we're outlining this passage, point one and point two, if you like a good outline, teaches us that under the sun, one, life is random. Go with me to 9-11. Again, I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, or, or the battle to the strong, or, or bread to the wise, or riches to the discerning, or favor to the skillful, rather... Time and chance happen to all of them. Life can be very random. Life can be peculiar. Life can be particular. Life, when we look at it, can cause us to say, Why, oh why, is that happening? You would think that the strong always win. You would think that the more talented are always successful. That's not the way that life plays out. 
Sometimes you see David defeat Goliath. Sometimes you are watching and your favorite sports team, which happens to be the underdog, defeats a team that's better. We'll think through history to when the United States won the Olympic medal in hockey. You can also think of when the first of the variant dream teams lost in the Olympics. You can notice and we can see that the most skillful, the most powerful, don't always win because life is peculiar. I know that. I have come to realize that. There is something strange about the world in which we live because we notice things don't work the way that we want them to work. Things don't always play out the way that we would hope that they would play out. I love lists. I love the idea of having a list. Now, I've had debates with people in my life recently about how lists do not help them accomplish things. I am a list person. I like to have A and B and C and D and E. I like to get things done on a list. I like the, I like the feeling of checking things off of a list. Anybody like that or is that just a me thing? Okay, so these are the right people in the room. And if you're not like that, feel, I'm kidding. That's a complete and utter joke that fell flat because... Okay, so... We, I love lists. I also love to have a calendar that I can know. On Thursday, I'm doing this. On Friday, I'm doing that. I'm meeting this person for a meal in an outside restaurant. And we're going to sit six feet apart and yell at one another. I like to know those things when I do stuff. I, I, throughout the summer, for much of my life, I've spent time traveling and speaking at summer camps. And I had some summer camps scheduled this summer. And my computer keeps poking me in the eyeball. Because I get a reminder every time I'm supposed to be somewhere. And it tells me you're supposed to... I literally got a reminder today that I'm supposed to be on a plane to Florida tomorrow. You know what I'm not going to be on tomorrow? A plane to Florida. This is not going to happen. My list has been undone. In this room, how many of us have had things undone? How many moms have had, or dads, have had added an extra responsibility because you shifted from being a mother to being a complete academy for children at home while you taught them school. You're the lunch lady. You're also the teacher. You're the disciplinarian. You're the warden. You're all of those things. We notice that life has shifted and it's very unique and random. All of us feel this and Solomon lets us know this. He's pointing out to us in this passage, there will be times when it does not seem as if life makes sense. And if there has ever been a word for us to receive from Solomon, it's that because this world doesn't make sense. It just doesn't. Everything around us is saying things. Life is random. Life is difficult. We notice that in the text. And we move from that to verse 12 where he tells us, for each and every one of you, not only is life random, but death is coming. It's hard to hear. I'm 42. Someone told me the other day, Chad, you're closer to 60 than you are to high school. And I punched him in the nose. (laughs) For certainly, no one knows his time. Like fish caught in a cruel net or like birds caught in a trap. So people are trapped in an evil time as it suddenly falls on them. 
the writer points out that death doesn't just come for the old. It doesn't just come when we're expecting it. Now, we know that to be true as we've, as we've walked through and we've grieved with family members, with loved ones, as we've hurt alongside of people. We've watched battles with cancer. But we also know that there are accidents that happen, things that catch us off guard, things that don't make sense, which reminds us that under the sun, all of these things, it, it's so hard to grasp. But for those of us who are believers in Jesus, we look at this story and we see there is something above the sun. There is something other than what we can see in this meaningless life. Because we, as those who would follow after Jesus, believe that God has met us in the person of Christ. And in meeting us in the person of Christ, He does not just offer to get us through this life, but He offers hope on the other side of this life. That God has met us in all that He has done in Christ. And that we can know who God is and how God works. And we can believe and know that in a meaningless, futile world, there's more. There's meaning. There's something to this. It doesn't mean we don't struggle or lament the atrocities of our day. It just means as we look at this world as followers of Jesus, though the world is topsy-turvy, inside out, upside down, we believe that God has not ceased to be for His people, that God has not stopped caring about the oppressed and the broken, that God is for people coming to know Him in this life. That's why He keeps giving us another day. We look at the passage and we see those two things, that life is random and that death is coming. And from that point forward, here's what Solomon says to us. Because life is random and and death is coming, every single one of us, as we move from where we are to whatever that end date is, you need wisdom to get through. Wisdom is going to help us get through. You see that in 9.13 through chapter 10, verse 20. 9.13 through 10.20. And as we look at this passage, we'll notice how he works us through the idea of wisdom meeting us. Now, let me give you a couple of definitions because we weren't together for a little while. We've been walking through this book. I did not want to preach Ecclesiastes online because that would have been hard because it's hard enough for people in the room. So we... Flipped our preaching schedule. We did a different series. But here we're looking and we're talking about wisdom. And here's the definition of it. Wisdom is not just you knowing stuff. Wisdom is information plus application. It's doing something with what you know you're supposed to do. Now, there's a flip side. There's the, the villain to wisdom. It's called folly. If wisdom is Batman, folly is the Joker. Folly or foolishness, that is information minus application. So here, for all of us in the room, as we look at this text today, we're going to notice, hey, there are moments for me when I'm behaving incredibly wisely. And there are moments for me when I'm behaving like a fool. And hopefully, hopefully God in all of this is going to say to you, and He's going to show you, and He's going to show me as He meets us here, that we are given each day. You may not even be given the entirety of today. But while you have breath in your lungs, think through what it means to fix your eyes on Jesus. The author, the perfecter of your faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Wisdom is taking steps in the direction God would have us to take said steps. 
could go with me, verses 13 through 20. And we'll spend some time there, or 13 through 18, and then we're going to go 10 through 20 in just a few moments. Again, verse 13. Here's what we see in the text. That wisdom is something that we want. 13 through 18 teach us that. Read with me. We want wisdom. I have observed that this is wisdom under the sun, and it is significant to me. He then gives an illustration. There was a small city with few men in it. A great king came against it surrounded it, and built large siege works against it. Makes sense. A king going to war, he's going to take this city. But there's someone in the midst. A poor wise man was found in the city, and he delivered the city by his wisdom. Yet no one remembered the poor man. We want the wisdom, we don't want the man. Now there's all types of arguments about this passage, because if you want to find people arguing about the Bible, Ecclesiastes is a good place to go. But when you read here, what he's pointing out is that every single one of us, we are in situations not only where we would want wisdom, but where we need it. We need someone, the poor man, to speak to the situation and say, hey, this would be helpful. Now, let's be truthful. we got kids in the room, and, and there's also, there are also adults in the room who behave like children, and some of us who need to behave like children more. But if you've ever spent time with a kid, there is more than likely the conversation you've had where you ask them, if you were to get a superpower, what would that superpower be? I don't know what superpower you would want. For some of you, you would want flight, and flight would be helpful, especially in these trying times where they won't give me a Coca-Cola or on the plane. Uh, maybe for you, you would want a superpower like super strength. Any strength people, you would just like to be stronger. Would anyone like to be faster? It, none of these things. I used to think the best power would be teleportation. Because Hope told me that it was, and I thought that's a really good idea. You could be so good at things if you could teleport. You don't have to fly. You just go from A to B, from B to C. You would be so good in fights if you were a good teleporter. Now, the adverse of that is this. If you are a bad teleporter, you'll be the, the worst fighter in history of fighters. You'll just keep landing yourself in punches. But when you look at this passage, we're talking about the idea of wisdom. And here's what we can know. It's something that we all want, though it kind of gets slid underneath other things. If you're giving me your thing that you want, wisdom's not what's there. But wisdom is, what go is going to get us from point one to point two, from A to B, from B to C. God's going to carry us through with wisdom because there's a time for everything under the sun. And as we are dealing with that everything, what helps us take the steps that God would have us to take is that we would be wise people. We want wisdom. Every one of us would agree with that. But we're quick to ignore the quiet wisdom. You actually see him point that out in the passage. Go with me to verse 16. And I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the wisdom of the poor is despised, and his words are not heeded. He then goes on to say, the calm words of the wise are heeded, more than the shouts of a ruler or, or, over fools. Wisdom is, is better than weapons of war, but, but one sinner can destroy much good. He is saying that there is something to be said about a wisdom that is not the loudest. We ignore the wisdom that comes in the whisper. We ignore, if we're not careful, the uncomfortable words that we do not want to hear. 
We want comfort. We are in a comfort world. We like comfort foods. We, we like to watch television shows that make us comfortable. If you are a nostalgia person, more than likely you have gone in the midst of all of this to a show that you love just to give you peace and stability, to give you calm. We crave voices that agree with us, to which I always ask, why? Why do we just want to hear people that already agree with what we think? What if we were to look and see the the broader scope of things, that there are things for us to learn that are coming from different places. What if we are missing what God would say to us? What God would say to us from His Word and through His Word because we disagree with where that happens to be coming from. As R.C. Sproul said, all truth is God's truth. What if we were to learn from the things that make us uncomfortable, that take us to a place that we don't want to be and force us to sit in the random uniqueness of our situation and ask God, God, show me how to get here because I need not only wisdom in general, I need wisdom that moves me toward you. Wisdom. However, as we look at the text, you notice in 10, 1 through 3, wisdom is something that we all want, but it's easily undone. Go with me to 10, 1 through 3. Dead flies make a perfumer's oil ferment and stink. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise person's heart goes to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks along the road, his heart lacks sense. If you're like me, your garage is always a work in progress. Does anyone have a pristine garage? You're awesome. If you have that, 205, come see me. Most of us don't. It's always being rearranged. But, but because I live with someone who is incredibly organized, who is on top of cleanliness, mine is clean more than it's not. However, and not only is it clean, we don't let vermin in there. We try to push things like that out. When my children bring a frog into my garage, we tell them no. I think it's a toad. It's one of those. I get them confused. Crocodiles, alligators, you know, snakes, puppies. I mix them all up. But when I go in there, it, we want it to be clean. It usually is clean. I walked in the other day and there was a scent that I did not like. And, and that scent was because this new dog walking service that I am funding. They have chosen not to re- return the people's doggy bags to their homes with them. They've just been throwing them in my garbage can. I didn't sign up for this. I noticed on another day that when we walked into the garage, it just smelled like awful, whatever awful smells like. Because one of the neighborhood kids had found some dead fish and had thrown them in the garbage can, not at his house, not at someone's house we don't like, at my house, unless I'm the person he doesn't like. In a small, concentrated place, it has affected everything in the garage. It's gone now, thankfully. When you read this text, what Solomon is saying to us as he walks us through wisdom is, 
we can be moving in the direction that we believe that we should be moving and taking steps in that way. And all that it takes is one stumble, one stutter, one small misstep for us to be in the midst of folly again. He he says that there's a little bit and it ruins everything. Verse 2, a wise person's heart goes to the right. Now, now this verse has not been co-opted by any political parties yet. I'm shocked by it. But what he's saying is that the fool's heart, the one who is not applying the wisdom that God has given, their heart goes astray. They keep running loose. They don't know where they're... They lose the focus that they have. Verse 3, even when the fool walks along the road, his heart lacks sense. This is the equivalent of us going to 288, the, the large road right there. And noticing someone walking down the middle of the road toward us in traffic. It's pointing out to us that we would call that person a moron. And what Solomon is saying is if we are someone not seeking after wisdom or lost in the trouble of foolishness, that's what we are. Verse 4, we we move from the idea of what wisdom is to... Or of, of, that we can undo it to the idea that, that we need it. We need it in various places. You need it in 4 through 20. We need it in leadership, 4 through 7 tells us. We need it in the day-to-day, in 8 through 11. We need wisdom with our words. We see that in 12 through 15. Let's go through those together. 4 through 7. Folly and foolishness have flipped the world upside down. If the ruler's anger... Go, go in verse 4. If the ruler... Anger rises against you. Don't leave your post. For calmness puts great offense to rest. There is an evil I have seen under the sun. An error proceeding from the presence of the ruler. The fool is appointed to great heights. But the rich man remains in low... The rich remain in lowly positions. I've seen slaves on horses... But princes walking on the ground like slaves. Solomon's saying to us in this passage that under the sun, in the randomness of our moment, there will be times where we look around and we will see that it seems as if leadership is putting people in power that don't need to be in power. That there will be people who get jobs that they do not deserve. That there will be people who are elevated above those who are seeking to be wise just because that's the nature of our situation. He's pointing out to us the issues that we see. And as he tells us these things, I'm reminded of this. When we read through this text and we see verse 7 that we have slaves who own horses but princes walking on the ground like slaves... That he's pointing out the fact that the world's not supposed to work like that. But I think about under the sun, how there was a God who was from beyond it. Who took the very nature of a slave upon himself. Took the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness so that we could know God in Philippians 2. That our attitude should be the same as that of him. That we should not look at our situation and look at our circumstance and find that... That there is nothing to it that actually God puts us in places. And there will be moments for us as followers of Jesus where we are going to need to look and consider and think through this. That 
in the world in which we live, there will be times when the leadership above us does things we do not get. It doesn't make what they're doing right. But we're called as the people of God to, to walk wisely, to, to speak to issues when issues need to be spoken to, to, to find our place as the people of God in these things. We see in 10, 8 through 11, not only do we see wisdom and lead, we need wisdom and leadership, and we definitely do. We need people who are making decisions to be seeking and moving in a certain direction. We also need wisdom on the day-to-day, everyday life. And I believe this is where this passage meets the heart of this room, the bulk of those of us who sit here. Because we look and we are reminded again of the randomness of situations that would cause us to stumble, struggle, fall, or even die. Eight and nine. The one who digs a pit may fall into it. All that brother did was go to work that day. Started digging a pit and then he fell in it. He he was doing what he was supposed to do and something terrible happened. And one who breaks through the wall may be bitten by a snake. If your job is to break through a wall, you don't know that there's a snake on the other side. The one who quarrel, the one who quarries stones may be hurt by them. If your job is to deal with stones, there's a chance you get hurt. The one who splits, do- lo- splits dogs, that's for another day. The one who splits logs may be endangered by them. Your job may put you in a place where it is difficult and hard. Solomon is not being fatalistic. He's not trying to make us sad. He's being realistic. He's telling us real things that we can know about real life, difficult things that we need to know about the difficult day-to-day of our lives. If the axe is dull and and one does not sharpen its edge, then, then one must exert strength. However, the advantage of wisdom is that it brings success. Knowing you need to sharpen the axe is a big deal. And then he goes into this snake charming deal. And because I'm not really into snake charming, I've done some research. A couple of YouTube videos. If the snake bites before it's charmed, then there is no advantage for the charmer. Look, you can be making plans to do everything that you need to do in the way that you believe you're supposed to do it, But if in the making of said plans, you get struck before everything comes to fruition, it's a problem. What benefit is all the knowledge of charming snakes if it gets you before the charming is brought to completion? Life is hard. And we as Christians know there are things that we're supposed to do. I spent lots of my life with teenagers. I mentioned that earlier. And whenever you preach in a situation where teenagers have gone through the difficulty of a school year and then they come, there will inevitably be the question asked by, by them and sometimes by parents. They'll tell you they don't feel like a Christian. I don't know what a Christian feels like physically, like velour, felt, or whatever. But I do know that what they're saying to me is, hey, when I look at my life, it's topsy-turvy. Things aren't working out the way that I expected for them to work out when I chose to follow Jesus. I don't feel like a Christian. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And then you begin to ask hard questions. Well, tell me about the time you spent in your Bible. 
and they give you that face. How's prayer? They don't have an answer. So you are struggling to sense that you're a Christian, though you're not doing anything to practice Christianity. Have you cared for someone who was hurting? Over and over, the things that we've been told to do, they don't do. And that's not just teenagers, that's the bulk of us. We know what we're supposed to do. But being wise does not mean you know what you're supposed to do. Being wise means that what you're supposed to do that you know, you do something with it. You do something with it. It's taking steps, practical steps. He is telling us, here's the point that he's making through this whole snake charmer bit. Look ahead and anticipate and act the way you would like for things to work out. So we live in shoulda, woulda, couldas, and I wish I would'ves. Has anyone ever said that? Maybe not. Maybe just me. I wish I would have done lots of things. I wish I would have exercised more when I was in my 20s. I wish I, I, wish I would have. I wish I would. We love that. But for the follower of Jesus, being wise is knowing not knowing what you should or would or could have done. It's knowing that if I am going to bring honor to the Lord in the way that I live, the things that I want to see happen, I've got to pursue them. That doesn't disqualify God's providence. It means that you're walking and you're trusting that God is providential. I'm going to do... So if we want to raise our kids to honor the Lord, we don't just magically look at them one day and they're like, they're just all dressed in white, singing hymns and praise songs and spiritual songs. We put energy and effort into it. If we want our children not to act as if they're God, we probably don't need to be worshiping them from day to day. We take steps, daily, grinding, difficult steps that speak against everything that the world in which we live says are good because we believe that God alone is taking the steps that God would have us to take. I should have, I would have, I could have. That helps no one because we've never started doing what we're supposed to do. You're given direction as to what you're supposed to do. I'll pray about it. So we're praying about supporting missions. Wait, you, you don't need to pray about that. The Bible says you do that. Scripture teaches us to do that. You pray about caring for your hurting neighbor. Yeah, I hear they're struggling over there. I, I, Lord, should I help them out? These are things we've been given direction to do. We, we look again, we see that we've... Wisdom in the day-to-day. I need it, and I, I struggle with it. I don't talk to you about anything that I don't struggle. I struggle with this stuff. We need wisdom with our words. We see that in 12 through 15. Go with me. The words from the mouth of a wise person, they're gracious. Are you gracious? Grace-filled. But the lips of a fool consume him. They eat him up. The beginning of the words from his mouth is folly. He knows what to do. He's just choosing not to do it. But the end of his speaking is evil madness. See, earlier on, we're laughing at this cat walking down the middle of 288, and right now we see it's a problem. He's eating up the world that he lives in. 
Because he's a moron and no one has put him in check. Because I can be a moron if I'm not in check. Yet the fool multiplies words. He starts talking. And he keeps talking. And he keeps talking. And he keeps talking. And at some point you realize he's not said anything but no one knows how to stop him. Because lots of us like to say words and none of us like to listen. We act like we're hearing while we process the next thing we're going to say. No one knows what will happen. and Who can tell anyone what will happen after him? The struggles of fools weary them. For they don't know how to go to the city. They're just getting through the day and they don't even know where they're going. For us to follow after Jesus. For us to seek after Jesus. For us to be wise in a way that honors Jesus. We plan this out. We practice this. Now your plan doesn't have to be like my plan. You don't need reminders and streaks or anything like that. But just, all right, I'm wanting to actively follow Jesus. What am I going to do to actively follow Jesus? What am I going to involve myself in? What am I going to write? What am I going to read? What am I going to think about? What relationships am I going to have? What's going to push me more and more towards Jesus? Think about those things. That's what he says. Then you get a summary in 16 through 20. I'll read those over us and then we'll do something. Woe to you... Land when your king is a youth. See, summarizing. He's already talked about kings. And your princes feast in the morning. Blessed, or God's deep joy, are you when your king is a son of nobles and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Because of laziness, he points out laziness and the problem with it. It's not a sin. One pastor points out, it's not a sin for anyone to be poor. We see it throughout. It is a sin for us to choose laziness, any of us. And because of negligent hands, the house leaks. A feast is prepared for laughter. He's always talking about food. I like that. It's like being here. And wine makes life happy. And money is the answer for everything. Now that seems problematic. What does he mean that money is the answer for everything? He's pointing out that for the wise person, they are going to use their resources in a way that, in a wise way. That you're going to use your resources to invest and make the world in which you live a better place, which helps people take small, methodical steps towards Jesus. Do not curse the king even in your thoughts. Do not curse a rich person even in your bedroom. For a bird of the sky may carry the message and a winged creature may report the matter. You don't know what you say and how your words, he's back to those words, are going to come back on you. Anyone ever been bitten by something you said? Hypothetically speaking. He's pointing out to be wise means that you're not only thinking about what you say in the moment, you're thinking about what you say before the moment happens. This passage, as I read through it, as I looked through it, as I worked through it, it kept coming after me, and I didn't appreciate it. More than likely, if we just think about it for a moment, these practical steps, these exceptional situations, it's going to come after you too. So what is a wise person supposed to do? If you're a note taker, here's a great passage for you to write down. Just one verse, one verse. Philippians 4 verse 8. 
Because we understand that Solomon doesn't get to say the last word. God says the last word. Jesus will say the last word. But he tells us, through Paul, finally, brothers and sisters, all y'all, all you followers of Jesus, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on those things. Dwell is not a passive word. It is an active word. Honor, dwell on that. Purity, dwell on that. Loveliness, dwell on that. Commendableness. I don't even know if that's a word, but go there. Praiseworthy things, dwell on those things. Think about things. Actively set your mind as a follower of Jesus on things that it seems as if Jesus elevates. And diminish the things that it seems that Jesus diminishes. So if Jesus cares about something, you as a follower of Jesus should care about that. So if I'm giving you homework through the week. I don't do that a lot. But I would encourage you to read the words of Jesus. If you just start with the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. What does Jesus seem to care about? And ask yourself, do I care about those things? Do I care about those things? Because actively applying what Jesus teaches us through His Word, what He says to us, it matters. It matters. Do this with me this morning. Bow your heads. Lord, I love these people, and I thank You that You've given us a chance to be together Lord, I thank you for kids in the room. I thank you for moms who want to be here and want to be part of worship. God, I thank you for dads. And I thank you for how you... Lord, I just thank you for the influence that so many men in my life have taken where they've chosen to be father figures in situations. God, I pray that we would actively seek after you, that we would want to be commendable and do honorable things. Lord, do things that bring honor to you, that we would seek and find what the words of Jesus say to us about caring for others. And we would care for others. Not in a general sense, but God, in a specific sense. Actively doing what you've told us to do. Lord, we thank you that your word is good and it's whole and it's full. And we thank you that a king from all those years ago said words that speak to the situation that we as a congregation are walking through in 2020. We thank you that you're not under the sun completely, that you exist beyond it. And that we have hope because of that. So Lord, I pray you'll move among our people, stir in us a passion for your name of actively seeking and following after you. We ask this in Jesus' name. If you need me, I'm over here in the back right-hand corner.